Moncrief on News Talk. Three years ago, everyone at the Touched woke up with a power. Touched are rewriting the rules of reality. I want them under control. You know the Touched. Yes, they have weird deformities and afflictions. They're unhappy. Well, whatever they are, I think they're a gold mine. You know what a better world could be like. Is that the mission you were going on about? Yes. I do have a mission. And I'm not cut out for it. But it matters. That is a clip from The Nevers. The first half of season one is now streaming on Sky Atlantic. And James is here to tell us all about it. James, how are you today? Not too bad, Tom. How are you? I'm good. I've, I've seen clips of this and bits of it look like it could be up my street in so far as it's set in the Victorian world, which is an era I always kind of tend to warm to. So uh, what's going on? Well, do you like steampunk kind of sci-fi retro futurism? Because you're going to get a lot of that in it as well. Oh, you see, you've gone. I was waiting for you to say something about Sherlock Holmes, but you didn't. And, and I guess I get a sense of the Avengers or something coming in towards me now. Right. Tell me more. Well, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with the Avengers, because it's actually um, this show is developed by Joss Whedon, though it depends which Avengers you're talking about, him of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Avengers. So this is an, an interesting show uh, to talk about in terms of just the discourse around it, because Joss Whedon, creator of Buffy and uh, Firefly and Dollhouse and, and many other things, uh, was long you know, considered this total hero of the feminist TV movement. And then it, the last kind of, well, the last five years, there have been an awful lot of rumors about him. And then in the last five months, maybe, uh, former castmates of him, including uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, to some degree, who, who was Buffy herself, have come out with these pretty damning um, reports about him being essentially an onset bully. And uh, all of the Nevers had gone into production before that even started. And it, there was a bidding war between Netflix and HBO to get it, and HBO bought it out. And what we got then was a, a pandemic that came along and interrupted the production of the show. And essentially, we only have the first half of it. And now Joss Whedon is out completely and utterly. Okay. He has left the project. And when we get back to our next six episodes, some point in 2022, which will round off this first season, it'll be led by someone else. But what is it about? All right. So it's set in the, in 1896 in London, and it stars two Irish women, a Northern Irish actress named Laura Donnelly, very, very successful uh, stage actress. She won a Laurence Olivier Award for um, The Ferryman and was nominated for a Tony. And Anne Skelly, uh, who has fewer awards but certainly is making a mark as well and they play uh well uh, laura donnelly plays amalia true this british very clipped posh sounding woman who has some kind of mysterious past and has been affected by what we're going to call being touched touched in this case means one day in london these strange lights fill the sky and hundreds of women and a few men but mostly women are imbued with some sort of, some sort of magical ability. Now these abilities they they range in 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 you know from from fairly benign 
to incredibly violent and disturbing. And these women have, uh, led by Amalia, are living in an orphanage in in London and get caught up in this Victorian, oh, you know, somewhat uh, Sherlock Holmesian uh, mystery about who they are, where they came from, how they ended up with these powers, and and what they actually mean. And uh, if that doesn't uh, appeal to you, I will say to me, I was a little bit cold towards it at the beginning. First of all, I mean, I like things that have short episodes, but at an hour (laughs) each, these ones are just, I would say, at least 10 minutes long in each one. And, you know, it's a full like full hour, no breaks. uh, And to me. There just simply weren't enough people in it to stretch it across 60 minutes worth of content. But the more I watched it, the more I was reminded of um, this this Joss Whedon show from maybe about 10 years ago at this point called Dollhouse that had two seasons. It was about this woman who, uh, well, who could have different personalities put inside her. And the thing about Dollhouse was it, it came around the time, I think, of the, the big writer's strike. And it, it just never really got off the ground. But it had this one brilliant episode that was sort of like throwing things into the future and really showed a kind of proof of concept of what this could be like. And throughout the run of six episodes of this, I was always like, there is something here that could work. There is good, like the acting is great. The production is great. The music is great. The, okay. A lot of it is great. It's just, it never quite gets off the ground until you get to the sixth episode. And I would say if anyone has watched the first two or you know one and not been that struck with it, go the distance because by the time you get to the end of the sixth episode some real stuff has happened and you'll be left wanting more okay well you certainly intrigued me james i'll say that um a thing that's going through my mind as as i listen to this and look at other reviews is who is it aimed at um i I get a small hint of uh ya about it is it aimed for a younger audience (laughs) that's kind of interesting uh i i i agree Outwardly, like certainly in in its branding, it's, you know, it's these relatively young women, uh, some very young, who are kind of coming together and fighting the patriarchy. And it definitely has a YA bent to it. But then the other thing about it is it's also made for HBO, right? It's made for HBO Max, which is the HBO's, you know, HBO's Netflix, except it's based only in the US. Nowhere else in the world can get it. So it comes to us via Sky Atlantic. And because it's HBO Bizarrely, it can be at times quite violent, quite graphic. There was a surprising amount of nudity and sex in it that I wasn't expecting. Oh. So if you have younger teenage daughters and let's say you were raised on a, you know, a media diet of like Buffy and Angel and think, actually, this will probably be OK. Uh, I, <laughs> you're prob- yeah. probably let them yes. discover it by themselves. Is what I so I, I won't be. I thought maybe this might be one we can all watch together, but, but looks, it definitely not. Um, it sounds confusing and it's funny. It seems like the reviews are saying the same thing that it's a bit of a mess. But you are saying stick with it, and there there are rewards. I am because there are five kind of regular episodes of this Victorian era stuff, and then there's a sixth episode where things change up drastically and bizarrely and strangely and for the first 25 minutes of that episode you'll be thinking what show is this but all in all what I really really liked about this was actually kind of the two central performances right these two Irish actresses Laura Donnelly uh, and Skelly they have this great on-screen chemistry and it's a show about these like two female friends and it's not about the men in their lives it's about like the bonds of kind of sisterhood and weird magical powers at the same time. And I think I'm very intrigued to see where it goes in its back half of this first season, because when it comes back in 2022, it's under new management. 
but with the same kind of branding, right? Yeah. And it, I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do with that. Right. And will it have the same vision? So next thing we're going to talk about the Underground Railway. I can tell already this this might stop me watching it for very different reasons. Um, this might be just too harsh for me. So um, all 10 episodes of this is streaming on Amazon Video Prime at the moment. This is a clip from the Underground Railroad. Where do they go? The ones that run away and never return. There is nothing here but suffering. It is time to go. There's anger in you. He'll fuel you. Yes, well. What's the worst kind of fuel? The worst kind. Savagery a man is capable of when he believes his cause to be just. That is a little bit of the Underground Railroad, all 10 episodes streaming now on Amazon Video Prime. Um, so, James, this one, um, I, I get the impression, is a harrowing tale set in the world of uh, the slave trade in America. Yeah, so this is not in any way feel-good viewing. And, in fact, it, it comes from um, a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel by the novelist Colson Whitehead. And it is adapted by Barry Jenkins, who made Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk and is very like having his moment right now. And he himself, Barry Jenkins, has said, this is not one to binge. And certainly the like the only way to binge this is if you are emotionally numb, because it is so okay. like almost relentlessly grim at times that I could imagine if you watched two hour long episodes in a row of this, you would be left fairly emotionally bruised by the end of it and you would need quite the palate cleanser <laughs> to, to sort of like get over it. So this is 10 episodes. They are varying in length. I think the shortest one is maybe 20 minutes and the longest one is 70 minutes, I think. Okay. And it tells the story of Cora, who is a slave in Georgia in the 1800s. And she's played by a South African actress named Tuso Mabedu, who I have never come across before, but who got her sort of cut her teeth in this South African soap opera and was incredibly successful that it, it, she was nominated for this International Emmy Award for that role. And that has propelled her onto this. And actually, what I like about it is that a lot of the people in this show are complete and utter unknowns to me. The only kind of name, I think, in the cast is Joel Edgerton, who is this Australian um, actor and director in his own right. He's going to be in the new... Um, the, one of the new Disney uh, Star Wars spin-offs playing uh, Luke Skywalker's uncle. Uh, but he, other than that, uh, he, he even isn't maybe a household name, but he probably is a fairly recognizable face. But instead, Jenkins has brought together these really, really rich kind of character actors and presents this very harrowing but kind of oddly lyrical beautiful tale at the same time so cora is growing up uh, she, cora is grown up sorry she's a slave in 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 georgia and very early on we get these terrible moments of violence involving um runaway slaves brought back to the plantation and cora and her uh, cora and this, this male slave named C caesar decide they're going to go and run and people might ve might well be aware of you know the underground railroad during the slave trade which was this um you know, allegorical uh, safety trail with people, with abolitionists providing, you know, routes. But in this, it, you know, it's magical realism. So there is okay. actually a literal underground railroad that the slaves get on and go oh, okay. from place to place. And what's very intriguing about this is the novel and indeed this adaptation 
sort of asks these very kind of stark questions about America's relationship with its slaving, with 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 slavery, and and the ramifications of that going forward in time, by having Cora move through different parts of America and experiencing a sort of a different aspect of black racial identity in the U.S. in each place she goes. But each place she goes, is it's fairly grim and it's fairly harrowing. Now, it is okay. also, despite being grim and harrowing, really beautiful to look at. I mean, I don't know if you saw Moonlight when it came out and it won like Best Picture at the Oscars a couple of years ago. I don't know if you've seen it, if, if Beale Street could talk. But Barry Jenkins is has this like, has this very kind of, smooth and beautiful style in everything that he makes and he brings that to that here along with music by his his longtime sort of uh, composer Nicholas Bertel this is like a like a stunningly beautiful production that sort of makes even more stark the grimness of it because you're watching this like this really beautiful palette while while also having the most harrowing images of slavery played out for you and okay you know, i can't speak to you know I, this isn't my story this isn't most irish people's story although an irish character does appear in it but in all sort of the discourse around this all uh, african-american reviewers and anyone talking about it has said that they find this a very interesting new way of portraying slavery that it's not this incredibly like for want of a better term stark black and white uh, look at slavery it's not about um, just the violence it's about the lived experience of being a black person in the slave trade and what that meant to kind of to wear those scars from the violence both emotionally and physically and it's really 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 interesting but all in all it's also fairly grim <laughs> so yeah like, you I, i'm really wondering it. about that because um, I have to be honest, I still haven't seen 12 Years a Slave and it's based on my reason for avoiding it is based on on the reviews and certain scenes in it that I know I wouldn't get through. I, I just know some of us are not able for those kind of things. Many people think are not able for those kind of things. And I do also detect a bit of a, a feeling in the reviews that people are kind of giving it five stars and saying it's, you know, it's free, it's worth watching and stuff. But I'm not really detecting that they actually loved it. Yeah, I, I think that is a totally fair thing to say, right? This is not a piece of entertainment, the, but it's also it shouldn't also be a piece of homework, right? Because at the yep. end of the day, you're you're sitting down during your free time where we've all been through quite a ringer and you mightn't necessarily want to take on the emotional labor of this. And that's totally fair. What I will say is if you take on this, you know, the challenge of watching this and, and as I said, it is emotionally heavy stuff. It, it is so well realized and so vibrantly put together that I think it is worth worth the effort. OK, assuming that you're made of strong stuff, I think, yeah, by the sounds of it. Um, on <laughs> the total, yeah, on the total other end of the spectrum, uh, back to Barrytown, uh, Sundays, 9.30s and RT1, which is looking back on one of the great Irish films, The Commitments. This is a clip from it. Ladies and gentlemen, The Commitments. In 1991, none of us knew much about Barrytown, a fictional suburb of Dublin, full of ordinary people with razor-sharp wit and foul mouths. We could be the Northlanders, or the Liffey lads. It started out as a book, and then two more, and ended up with three films and a whole host of awards. It brought Hollywood to Dublin, just when we needed it. The commitments I sort of felt like was part of a resurgence of confidence in the Irish. There was something around us claiming 
our Dublin. That's a little clip from Back to Barrytown, Sunday's 9.30 RT1 and catch up on the RT player. Um, this is 30th anniversary, looking back on the commitments basically, isn't it? Well, it's looking back on the Barrytown trilogy altogether. So if, uh, okay. uh, the first episode was about the commitments. Last night's was about the snapper and next week is about the van. And this is a really fun but incredibly light documentary, right? Now, I think um, if you're if you're if you want something like if you want a palate cleanser, let's say you've watched an episode of the Underground Railroad and you want something just nice and fun to watch, this is perfect TV for that because it is an hour and it's a fairly like hate geographic hour of the commitments, the snapper, the van. Wasn't it great? Wasn't it funny? Wasn't it fantastic? Didn't we make this great movie? And uh, definitely they did, right? There's no denying those three movies have their place in the cultural pantheon of Irish like cinema as being like uh, absolutely universally beloved by everybody, endlessly quotable and like probably a guaranteed a guaranteed couch filler anytime they're on at Christmas or or even during the summertime or whatever, right? But you're not going to find out anything particularly new or novel or or kind of even cut-throatedly cut, cut inter- interesting about any of the movies. I would say, like, I, you know, I watched the episode about the commitments and it had Roddy Doyle and Colin Meany talking about each other. And there was, a f- there was a couple of moments where Roddy Doyle was talking about writing the script and how he felt a little bit hard done by in a few places and sort of was saying, well, you know, but I didn't really take it to heart, but I'm, I'm watching this and seeing him talk about it 30 years ago and feeling he probably did take it to heart and I really would like to know a little bit more about that. And like, you know, the thing about The Snapper is The Snapper it was this you know, this huge critically international success. It, it like, I think it won like the Goya for best international film, which is like the Spanish Oscars. It was nominated at the, at the Cesar, the French Oscars. And yet it didn't really, you know, go in. It didn't look at any of these movies in anything more than kind of quite a superficial way. But sometimes superficial is fun and charming. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to yeah. admit, I was I found this fun and charming in in, in its superficiality all the same. The commitments 30 years ago, um, there was no film industry to speak of in Ireland. Uh, and the idea of bringing in extra writers almost to help Roddy Doyle made sense at the time. Now it wouldn't make sense at all. Now the idea of somebody coming in to help Roddy Doyle would seem an insult to Roddy. So you'd be fascinated to get people's insights on And, and the on other thing about them is, despite these being very like Irish movies, they're all made by British filmmakers, right? Yeah. So you like have Alan Parker making the commitments. You've got Stephen Frears making... Uh, uh, the van and uh, and the snapper and there's a lot to be said about you know these being irish stories and particularly north dublin inner city stories as well at that but being framed sort of by a british lens you know i i'm interested in exploring that kind of thing and 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 how we got these classic films out of that but you're not going to, you're not going to really find that in this documentary instead you're in for a good 50 minutes of wasn't that great and to be honest that, no harm in that either. Fair enough. Yeah, no, nostalgia is great. I have no trouble with it at all, except for my curiosity, because I would like to look at the commitments and think of people like what happens Glenn Hansard next and Brona and Maria Doyle Kennedy, because they all have fascinating stories after this. Some of them do feature, right? Definitely. Some of them do, um, you know, uh, Angeline Ball featured. But like, for example, I was watching it and and they revealed that, you know, in the rehearsal process, the, the lead singer of the band, of the Commitments band, it was only 15 when they first auditioned him. And I was sort of sitting there with my mouth like wide open thinking that guy was only 15 <laughs> when he made the movie. He was 17, I think, when they filmed it. And and where is he now? There was there was there was just more 
there was more stuff to mine and I was left with questions both unanswered and even unasked while watching it. Right. To be honest. Well, maybe for the 40th anniversary, you might, you know, <laughs> ask the harder questions. But given we are coming through a pandemic and given that it is competing with the Underground Railroad, maybe it's all right just to look back and, you know, roast into glasses and make sure it was all great. Definitely. Definitely. Get out the DVDs. <laughs> Great stuff. James, thanks very much. I mentioned the Avengers just to let you know that uh, I have been cornered. I've sat down with uh, film one of the Marvel, uh, the Avengers, and apparently I have to watch all of them. So who knows what state I'll be in the next time we talk, James. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing it. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm still able to speak. James, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Tom. Moncrief on News Talk.